Let's get into today's sermon, and obviously it says the offer stands. It could have been the finger of God. It could have been knowing what's right. It could have been the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of topics we could, we could name this, but we come into the Word today and see what Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Now, I want you to get right into your notes, if you would, first. Normally we go to the Scripture first, but I want you to see your notes first because the notes will lead us to the Scripture. Now, today, if you're following your Bible... You're going to follow along, and you're going to turn to some of the, um, let's call them the extra white pages in your Bible, the pages that you don't get to very often. We're going to go back and look. You can't study the book of John without looking back. You've got to look back. What, what festival are we in the middle of right now in chapter 7? Chapter 8, what is the festival? Do you remember? Festival of tabernacle or of tents. We would call it tents. Everybody's camped out, build their own tent. They're sleeping outside. Our, our Sukkot is the actual Hebrew. They're staying outside because God delivered the people of Israel from, from Egypt. And he said, you will always remember this every year. All of you will come back home for this festival. You will come back to Jerusalem. You will celebrate this. Every male over 20 years old will celebrate this festival. It was one of three everyone had to come home for. Multitudes, potentially millions of people are in town during this week. It's a one-week-long festival. And everyone has to come back. They're required to come back. We know Jesus is there. We know the Pharisees early on are looking to kill him. Verse of chapter 7, they want to kill him. They're, they're sick of his uh, popularity. They've heard of his miracles that he's done. And we know that how? Because of what Scripture teaches us. But also, remember, we can go back and put our little, uh, look through our, you ever look through your phone and see old pictures? And you know, I don't remember that. Oh, I forgot about that. Well, we look back, we scroll back to chapter 3. And we see that Nicodemus came and he spoke to Jesus by night. He was, the Bible calls him a ruler of the Jews. As a matter of fact, Jesus called him, are you a ruler of the Jews and you don't even understand the scriptures? Why did Nicodemus not understand the scriptures? Because, remember what I told you? The, the, if you would, we'd call them pastors today, but they were the priests, they were the scribes, they were the Pharisees. They had left the letter of the law of the Old Testament Mosaic law, Moses' law, and they started teaching their own teachings. They took their... If you will, today it would be congregations, but they take their synagogue groups and they had split it off and they started teaching them to Rabbi so-and-so, Rabbi so-and-so, Rabbi so-and-so. And they were caught up in the teachings of man instead of the teachings of God. And what happens every time that you follow a man instead of following God, you will always go astray. Every time that you follow a man instead of following God, you will always go astray, 100% of the time. There's no way to follow a man or woman uh, and, and them only. Now, if they preach the word of God, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So he's like, I'm going to lead you to Christ. But did Paul ever sin? Yeah, he called himself the chief of sinners. Paul and Barnabas, we preached in the book of Acts. What happened to those old boys? They were, they were best buds, if you will. They were in the ministry together, and they divided over John Mark. They argued over, Paul says, I'm not taking him with me again. He's a loser, right? He, he's a quitter. He quit on me. He ain't going back with me again. And Barnabas says, he's, he's somebody. And God made him for ministry. Give him a second chance. I'm not giving him nothing. So Barnabas and John Paul, they take off their way to Cyprus. And who does Paul pick up? Silas. Then they have some conversations. Silas so like, hey, how come I get to come with you and not John Mark? And Barnabas, y'all were like that. Uh, we used to be like that, but he wants him. He can keep him and go that way in ministry. We're going this way because God's called me to do something. So even Paul and Barnabas, they had a, a breakup, if you will, in the ministry. And, of course, I believe God used both. There's room for forgiveness. Would you agree? I had to ask for forgiveness this week. And I started realizing, I said, 
I felt compelled to tell you as a church that I had, I had sinned against God and I needed to make it right. And I did with the Lord, so I'm right, but I'm just going to tell you what I did. Yesterday, I did nothing all day. Nothing. I ate, studied my Bible, studied my experience in God, took a nap, got up, studied my Bible, studied some more experience in God, cooked, made some incredible soup, and uh, studied my Bible some more, did nothing. And the Lord reminded me that, hey, yes, Saturday is still the Sabbath, Jewish Sabbath, it's still God's Sabbath, but I have been sinning that I haven't been taking a Sabbath day rest. I felt great. That's why I'm going to preach for probably two hours a day, because I rested yesterday. I have not been resting on a Sabbath rest. It doesn't have to be on a Saturday. It can be a Thursday or Wednesday on your day off. I haven't been taking my day off. I've been working right through it or coming in, popping in. And if you don't rest on a certain day, listen, I believe we're in violation of Scripture. You must take a Sabbath day rest. And your pastor was a terrible example, but I'm getting back into the group because yesterday felt really, really nice. But you know what my back of my brain was thinking? The Sabbath's over at 6, so I can get some work done. Isn't that crazy? Hard-headed, man, I am. All right. Well, let's look at the Word of God. Who said amen to I'm hard-headed? Who did that? All right, just kidding. All right. My wife's not here today. She's in quarantine again. Hey, watch this. Let's do an unscientific experiment. How many of you actually had COVID? You've been diagnosed with COVID in the past. Raise your hand. I have. Look around. It's going to get you, all right? How many of y'all know somebody that's had COVID? Raise your hand. If you've seen us, so you know all of us, right? The point being, it's real, it's dangerous, it's going to get us, it's going to come, and it's going to go. Some are going to live, some are going to die, but we're moving forward, right? We can't be focused on what might happen. My wife, I told you last week, she said, what if? She said, what if? And I was like, stop. I said, what if a plane crashes and it comes hits me right inside of my face, right here sitting in the house? She goes, quit being foolish. That's what I'm talking about. I said, yes, it is. Every time you what if, and it's a foolish worry statement, it's a foolish statement. So if the plane comes and hits me in the top of my head while I'm sitting at the dinner table, what if that happens? I'll be with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Who cares because it's not probable, right? Some stat shows there's no, some 90 plus percent of things we worry about never come to play. Never happen. And Jesus said, don't worry. So therefore, worry is what? Sin. Don't worry. Let trust him. And we're going to get into his word day and trust him, I hope, better. The offer stands. Jesus was on mission with God. Look at your notes. He would not be stopped by threats of arrest, death, or distractions, or other distractions. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas, was it not? In Matthew 1, 21, Joseph, was a, he, he didn't want to take Mary because he thought he, she had cheated on him. He said, the angel said, you will take her as your wife because the things that's happened to her is from the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, your translation might say. Take her to be your wife. Wife, and you will name the boy's name Jesus because he came, he's coming to save his people from their sin. By the way, just for the record, I know that's specifically Jewish people, but guess what? If you're saved today, you're one of his people. Aren't you glad? He brought in a time of grace. He came in to bring a new testament, a new covenant between mankind and God. In the Old Testament, it was kill the animals, it was slaughter the goat, so therefore it was your sin was covered. But Jesus came to bring in a new testament, a new covenant that you might have, if you will, an agreement with God. You would be right in God's eyes without killing a lamb, without killing any kind of cattle or bird. He came that he might be the lamb of God to die for our sins and take away our sins, as the Bible says. So the reason that he came, he tells us, and he told, he told the Pharisees, even these jack legs who wanted to be so crazy with him and want to kill him, 
he had compassion on them, and he loved them because he wanted to see them come into the kingdom of God. They loved their religious jobs. They loved their nice robes. They loved the attention that they got all the time because people looked up to them, and they thought they were somebody. And they were threatened that Jesus was going to take their somebody status away from them. You know people like that today? Are there ministers of the gospel like that today? Yes. Are the people in high places like that today? Bosses, other people said, hey, don't do that because you might take some uh, status away from me and I won't share my status. Well, I'm telling you, if you have a minister today, let me tell you. Well, I just put that, all those words together, didn't I? Won't tell you. I heard that. That's Pauline. I want to tell you today that anyone that seeks to be high and is in a position of leadership, I wouldn't follow them. We are servants of the Most High. We are to be, listen, we talked about, Adrian and I talked about this morning. Pastors should part the furthest away from the, from the church and walk the furthest distance, don't you think? And the deacons should be better than close to him. Right? We're servants of the church. We don't park up front. I've been to churches where they come out and take my coat and they park me right to the front of the church. They take my Bible and I'm like, what is going on? And the pastor wants to see you inside and I got this special place. I feel not guilty because I feel like it's not my position to park right next to the church. I don't want to park there. That's where the senior adults who are struggling to get in, that's where the handicapped should be that's struggling to get into the church. We want to minister. We want to feed the people of God so they will be equipped to go and actually tell the world about Jesus Christ. Not the pastor fat and happy sitting up front. Matter of fact, most pastors need to walk a little bit further anyway, don't we? Don't amen that. Stop that. All right. So Jesus came to save people from their sins. Jesus was openly clear about his mission. If you would kindly go to John 3, I know we're backtracking, but we want to look at John 3 that we preached weeks ago when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, and he told him in John 3, especially John 3, 3, he said, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus did not understand how. How can I, as an old man, go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, I'm trying to tell you spiritual things, and you can't comprehend it. Now he's going to come into verse 14. This is his purpose. This is his mission. Read with me verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and you say, well, I don't understand that. You need to go back and actually read uh, for yourself the Old Testament. What happened uh, with with Moses when God told him to build, uh, to put the serpent on the pole. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man, may I ask you? His name is Jesus that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Who are they believing in? Jesus. And what does he give if you put your faith and belief in him? Eternal life. Then he repeats it again in verse 16. He wants you to understand. He wants you and me to understand that we can get this clearly that a child can understand. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him, that's me, should not perish but have everlasting life. But that's also you and everyone else on the whole planet that's ever lived. Verse 17, for God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You understand that this morning, church, friends, family? Some of you come in this morning and you're like, well, Jesus has just got a heavy burden. He says his burden is light. He came to this earth to save his people from their sins. When he saves you, he gives you eternal life. It happens immediately upon your belief in him. When he draws you to himself, you say yes and amen. That's when you're changed. That's when you're saved. That's when you have eternal life. Isn't that a great thing this morning? 
that makes me want to fight somebody. In the, I want to go against the devil this morning, right? But I know I can't. He's more powerful than I am. But I stand behind the Holy Spirit saying, listen, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he can't touch me because greater is he within me than he that's in the world. Amen? That's the truth of the word of God. Let's keep reading verse 18. He who believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. Now, this is important that you read this and understand because we're going to get to chapter 8 and you have to have this knowledge to get to chapter 8. It's a key that unlocks the door, if you will. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. His name is what, church? Let's say his name a lot. What's his name, church? Jesus. Jesus. Amen. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. That's why people are so addicted to TikTok videos today. That's why everybody that has a business is trying to advertise for 10 seconds or less on TikTok. These stupid videos people are watching spend hour after hour. Hey, did you see this one? Did you see this one? Did you see this one? And it's dumbness that we continue to follow over and over again. And Satan has hooked the American public. He's hooked the Chinese public that can have access. He's hooked Korea. He's hooked anybody that has access to social media. He's hooked them into these dumb, stupid videos. And we locked in like a bunch of idiots following a pig trough to the uh, pigs to the pig trough that's what we've become and y'all awful quiet you should have said amen right there because most of you're hooked up on tiktok videos and that's why you can't say amen to that because you're locked in you're dialed into what satan has fooled you with it's a device that he's brought about to destroy you and you're going okay i'll drink that poison a little bit at a time. As a matter of fact, here, let me go to Verizon and pay them 60 to 80 to to $100 a month to poison every child I've got. Then you continue to poison your children every month to go, what's wrong with this generation? Why are they shooting everybody up? Why are they jacking people up? Why are they carjacking people? Why are they doing this? This is because of you. It's because of me. We have turned away from God and turned to the foolish things of Satan. Even the church of God has turned from that. This is you and me. The problem with society is the church. The problem with society is not society. They've always been sinful people. But we were once sinful, and now we've been redeemed, and we're living like we don't believe. We must follow the Christ that we commit to follow. Just like we preached about Paul. Paul was abused and beat. He was persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. And now we come and look at our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was abused. He was persecuted, trying to be arrested. They tried to arrest him and tried to kill him. Ultimately, he knew his plan was to be crucified, and they do kill him. But he says, I didn't come to condemn the world. Verse 19, and this is condemnation that the light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil and are evil. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light. Everybody who's out there in the world that loves the evil is against Jesus and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You're all embarrassed what you do in the dark. You don't want nobody to know. Every time a kid breaks an expensive lamp or something, they were told not to play ball in the house, what do they do? They want to hide under something. Every time a man, woman, boy, or girl gets messed up in pornography, what do they want to do? I want to get out of church. Church is too boring. Church is too much for me. It bothers me. He, he gets on my nerves. Pastor preaches this mess. That song is dumb. I don't like any of that stuff. Of the church, why? Because we love sin and we're not of God. You are your father, the devil, is what the Bible says. He said, that offends me. I am absolutely glad that offends you. It means you've got a conscience. Amen? It should get in your face, and you're like, I don't like that, and I've never come back to this church. Well, I want you to come back to the church so we can praise and worship the Lord. But if it offends you, I don't care. I am merely a messenger to preach what thus said the Word of God. 
Light has come into the world, and if you like the darkness more than light, you will run, 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 run from the light, and you'll blame the light every single time. You'll bring the people of the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, right? He said, I didn't come to condemn anybody. I come to bring life. I come to give you salvation. And today, the truth is called falsehood. Love is called hatred. But I've told you, I'm going to continue to put up the sign that says bridge out ahead if the bridge is out ahead. Amen? That is my responsibility as a messenger. That is your responsibility as a messenger of God. Tell those who are lost and on their way to hell that, listen, there is a way out. And his name is Jesus. Amen? There is a light that has come. And now we are the light of the world. It's your job to glow for Jesus. It's my job to spread the light. And I continue to do that as long as he gives me breath. Now, let's go, if you would. You need to know this, that he did not come to condemn. But there's those people who like darkness more than they like light. Let's go over to our passage for today. John chapter 7. We need to pick up the pace here. Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning Jesus. And the Pharisees and the chief priests and officers to take him, or guards to take him. Then Jesus said to them, now remember, he's in the middle of the temple courts. It's wide open. They could have taken him right there on the spot. But the people are listening. If you go back and read before this, it said, and some people believed him. Uh-oh, we got a problem now. Now we have a leader and we have followers with unbelievers and not followers in the same temple court. We got the leaders wanting to kill him, arrest him and kill him. And now he's messed up and they let him speak. Because remember, they're talking trash back in chapter 7. Hey, we're going to kill him. Where is he? We're going to kill him. Susan, you ever hang around people like that? I told you when we were kids, we'd say, put up or shut up. I'll see him again. Boy, if I catch him, right? Most people in public school talk trash during the school hour because they know somebody's going to break it up. Here's how you solve it. If you're going to fight, you tell them to meet you somewhere off campus at a certain time and then settle it. Amen? You can, can you, amen means yes, yes, that's true. Either put up or shut up. If you're going to talk trash, right? I remember I loved doing that. That's Because I love to fight. My brothers beat me up my whole life. My sister, she beat me up too. <laughs> She's not here today. She can't defend herself. She's probably going to put a comment on Facebook. Here's what I want you to understand. Listen, you can talk all the trash you want to when there's people around you. You get one-on-one. Talk trash about Jesus Christ, about hating the church and things of God. But like, get on somebody's prayer list, what's going to happen? God's going to tell you to eventually to put up or shut up. Did anybody ever hear the gospel clearly? You understood what it was said, and you said no, you walked away from the gospel? Anybody? You ever heard it preached, and you said, that's not for me, or not today? Raise your hand. I, I, I was one of those people. Anybody hear it more than 10 times? 110 times? I don't know how many times I heard it. He said, well, how did you get saved? It was only by the grace of God. He kept drawing me to himself. Will he eventually give up? Well, eventually what's going to happen, you'll get such a hard heart, you'll quit on God. You'll say, there's nothing I believe in any of this. Let's look and see what happens. Watch this. Let's continue. Jesus, verse 33, said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. Who's, who's the one that sent him? God the Father. So God the Son said, I'm going back to the Father. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to, does he intend to, go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me? And where I am, 
you cannot come. Well, that offends them because now Jesus has told them a mystery. Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of Jesus. Now some of them wanted to take Jesus, but no one laid hands on Jesus. Then the officers or the guards came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought Jesus? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like Jesus. I'm putting Jesus' name there. I know yours said any man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you all so deceived? What's the real question? Do you also believe in him? Do you believe in him? Let's continue. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? They got a council like this looking together like this, going, Any of y'all believed in him? Obviously, our guards, they must believe. The people are starting to believe. Do y'all believe? Any of y'all believe? Watch what happens. There is a secret disciple stuck in the middle of them. Watch this. Not yet. He's not yet ruled out, but he's, he's in there. He speaks a word. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Any of y'all believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. Bunch of, they, it was just a name they called them to condemn them. Nicodemus, remember from chapter 3? Look at this. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night... Being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? And they watched, they do a bull rush on him. They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Seek and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Verse 53 in most Bibles is stuck by itself. Is your Bible is it stuck out by itself? You know why? Because there was no, no ever chapter in numbers, divisions like we had. It was just it was a manuscript. Mankind, we non-inspired men or people that love love the Lord, they just took the Bible and broke it down in sections. And so 53 really should go with 8 chapter 1, okay? So that's why it's stuck by itself. Because it just says this, and everyone went to his own house. (laughs) So what does that mean? But Jesus, look at chapter 8 verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And then we're going to get into the next part. I want you to share some things from your notes. Watch this. This gets powerful, so that's why I'm preaching fast, and I don't want you to see it before we get out of here. This is a powerful chapter. Don't miss it, and it's going to continue to be powerful as we go forward. Look at your first note. The Pharisees had spoken great swelling words about resting Jesus and putting him to death. They refused to believe he was the Messiah despite the evidence. How do we know that? We know that they wanted to kill him because the Bible says so. How do we know that they knew that he was from Christ, uh, from God? Nicodemus said in chapter 3, we, we know that you are from God because of all the things that you do, the miracles that you continue to do. So did they know the truth based on the evidence they saw? And if they looked at the law, they would say the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to do all these miracles. It was prophesied that he would actually heal the blind, that he would make the lame walk, all these miraculous things. It was foretold hundreds of years before that when the Messiah comes, these are the works that he will do. These men were educated men, and they 
took out their Old Testament and said, wait a minute. This is what it says about the Messiah. This is what this man's doing. Could it be that he's the Messiah? But they'd gotten so caught up in their teaching, they're starting to think, now, wait a minute, if he is the Messiah, we're going to lose our jobs and our pensions. Mankind always looks out for self, don't we? Don't we? Yeah, we always we use phrases like blood is thicker than water, right? You might see a brother and sister that be screaming at each other, jumping on each other, scratching each other's eyeballs out. But let an outsider try to jump on either one of them. If you're from where we're from, right? We're going to defend you with all we got. We're together on this thing. All right, what's this? The Pharisees feared losing the affection of the crowd. They enjoyed their popularity. How, are people enjoying their popularity today over Christ? They like their religion more than they love the Christ? Yeah, just make me feel good when I come to church. If they would just sing nice songs and the preacher would sing happy melodies, right? Or as one pastor in town, <laughs> oh, never mind, I'll just pass that. You've got to speak the truth of the Word of God from the Word of God. Amen? Yeah, otherwise, it's just a motivational speech. You got geared up, got happy, and you went out the door and go, oh, I feel good this week. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. What's the background on that? Because you've got to be in Christ to get the strength of Christ, and you've got to live the low life, the poor life, and the high life, if you said amen to that, because Paul says, I've done both. I've lived when I've had great riches, and I've made it, man, when I've had nothing. I've been beat to death, no food, no nothing. So I can do all things. I can live up here, and I can roll down here through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? That's what that verse means. All right, let's continue. The Pharisees sent guards to arrest Jesus, yet the guards failed because of the power of his words. Isn't that powerful? Don't you love that? No man has ever spoken like he has spoken. There is no way we could arrest him. He's the, what were they saying? He's the Messiah. He, he's doing these miracles and he's teaching us the deep things of the scripture. You guys teach like mm, your stuff. He's teaching us the law of Moses. He's taking the law of Moses and he's bringing our attention to our thou shalt not. And we're going down the list going, whoa, my heart's convicted. When he speaks, conviction happens in the heart. Same thing today when you read the Word of God, conviction should happen in your heart. It either, oh me, or amen, right? You don't have a choice. You can't say, eh, don't bother me when, he, when I hear those words. The Word of God will either cut you. The Bible says it's a double-edged sword. It will cut all the way down to the deepest part of you. It's going to get some result from you. It's going to make you run, hightail it, right, out of, out of town. It's going to make you jump church to church so you get somewhere where they have a good children's program that makes me happy here. And they got a good youth program that makes me happy here. And they got the youth great, oh, they got a great singles adult. We go out dancing and all this stuff here. And, and the preaching's pretty good here. And the music's pretty good here. And you'll just be a grasshopper Christian and jump if you are a Christian at all. Just sitting in church because grandma's saved don't mean you're saved. And there's a whole bunch of grandmas that aren't saved. Did y'all know that? They just, they have religion as well. They were once young and they just pass on. There's grandpas that aren't saved. There's dads that aren't saved. They just said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Or when I was little, or they'll fill in the blank. You must be born again is what Jesus said. You have to know that you know that you know that you're saved. And when you do, you'll live accordingly. You don't care what people say. You don't like to be hurt. No one likes, hey, I can't wait to get persecuted this week. It's my favorite thing when people call me names and try to shame me. Well, none of us like that. But we know that Jesus said if they persecuted him, they will persecute us, his followers. Jesus prophesied his death in verse 33 and 34. He prophesied his death and ascension to heaven. 
Jesus, get this in your notes if you don't take any of the notes, Jesus had zero fear. Zero fear. I could have said no fear, but I wanted you to get zero, zero, no fear at all. Why? Because Jesus is God. What can man do to Jesus? A pipsqueak, as we used to say when we were little, right? A little pipsqueak, right? I don't even know what a pipsqueak is. If that's a bad word, I'm sorry. But that's what we used to say, right? Somebody who thought they were somebody, a little chihuahua looking, thought it was a big dog. What can man do to God? Nothing. And if God has you on his plan and you're following in his lockstep with God, what can man do to you? Until it's your turn on his calendar when God says, you're done, you're not done. I don't care if you've been threatened with lawsuits. I don't care if you've been lied on. I don't care if you've been, listen, told all kind of untruths. God is not through with you until God is ready for you to come home. He told his disciples in Matthew 28, Go make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And remember, teach them everything I taught you. And remember this, I'm with you to the end of the age. Will of Christ is for me, who can be against me? Paul goes into Romans 8 and starts listing all these different things. Life, death, angels, principalities. Nope, 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 nope. Church, what do we have to fear this morning? Nothing. You say, well, I fear death. Well, get over that. Because he's conquered death and hell and the grave. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't necessarily want to die today because i got grandkids and kids I'd like to spend more time with. My wife I want to spend more time with. But listen, if he takes me home today, glory be to God. That's how we live. We trust him. As long as I'm following in his will, I'm reading his word, he's telling me what to do. I can't. I can't go wrong. But when I turn to my own ways or start listening to my people, right? Those people around me that aren't following Christ, that's when I run the ground. That's when I get astray from the things of God. This is truth. Watch this. Jesus had zero fear. Verses 35 and 36. The Jews misunderstood the truth Jesus taught about his heavenly return and the coming of the Holy Spirit. They thought he was leaving Israel to go and teach the Greeks or the Jews in exile. Those people that came from out of town for this festival... Is he going over there to Europe? Is he going to go over and preach in Europe the same message? They misunderstood that he was going to heaven. They misunderstood that he was giving them a prophecy. He was prophesying that he was going to die for all man's sins, that he was actually going to die on a cross, be buried, three days later raised again, according to the scriptures, and he would forevermore be on the right hand of the God the Father. They missed all of that. They thought he was just going next town. <laughs> they thought he was leaving town. That's what they thought. The Bible says so. Well, watch this. Verses 40 through 43, the crowd of people were divided, the Bible says. Some believed, some did not. Is that the church today when people show up to church? Some people believe, some people do not. Some people look good. They can put all the flowers in like a float in a parade. If you said, are they a Christian? Oh, man, that thing's beautiful. Got all these flowers. But you look underneath all the rust, it's raggedy, ready to fall apart. That ain't a float. I wouldn't set my dog on that thing, let alone myself, right, or my child. That's the way some people are in Christianity. They try to look like I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian too. I'm a Christian just like you are. I sing at church. I have my Bible. I walk around with this and I look as good as you do. The Bible says man looks where? On the outside, but God looks at the heart. The Bible says be careful your heart will condemn you, but also it says, listen, he speaks from your heart. He said, well, how do I know if I'm a Christian? Have you recognized that you're a sinner? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. 
Do you understand? The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. That means hell. But the gift of God is eternal life in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Finally, he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and to your life? If the answer is yes, you got a big amen saying, I am saved. I've put my faith in Jesus. You say, well, it's got to be more than that. Okay, you figure that one out on your own. That's what I did. I followed what the scripture says. I asked him to come into my heart and life. You go do your thing. And I won't say see you later because I won't see you later. If it's Jesus plus anything, it's too much. It's excess. And that he will not be satisfied that you prayed so many Hail Marys, that you did so many exercises, that you gave to the poor. He does not care about all that stuff until you, one, do your faith in him that you receive his grace. And then when you receive his grace, then you go and help the poor. Then you go and do those things that he's called you to do. Ephesians 2.10, look it up for yourself. It's faith. It's his grace, your faith that he gives you, by the way. Did you know the Bible says he gives you a measure of faith? He said, Pastor, my, my faith is small. Is that a bad thing? You ever felt like, I, don't, I wish I had faith like she has. I wish I had faith like he has. I wish I had the faith that you're preaching about. But listen, the Bible says God has given each, that's a Christian, a measure of faith. He's not going to give you a lot of faith. Why? He gives you enough to believe. And then he gives you enough to follow and believe. Then he gives you enough to follow, believe, and start walking out front. Then he gives you a little bit more. He says if you're faithful in the little things, he's going to give you more. He said, I wish I was like, you pick somebody in your life that you think is really a superhero in the faith. Don't, listen, don't be them. How many burning bushes were there? One that we know of, right, in the Bible. Don't ask for a burning bush. Don't ask for a great fish to swallow you up and help you make your decision. Just follow him step by step by step in faith. Walk with him by faith. He said, I wish I had a secret formula to grow my faith. There is one, but it's not secret. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. Oh, you mean I got to read the Bible? Can't I just take a pill? Can't I just get a shot? Can't I just get the easy way? There is no easy way with God. We live in a sinful world with sinful people in a sinful world system, and Satan hates you, and his demons hate you, and they come against you. There is no easy way. It's always war day by day. Monday through Sunday, it's war. He said, well, I don't like that. What do I do with that? Just because you don't like it. Well, my God, okay, if your God don't line up with the God of the Bible, you got a false God. you got a false belief. You might be a tender-hearted person and thinking Jesus is tender-hearted like you are. He's meek, but he's very strong. You need to read Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 and see who he is. Watch who he is right here. He's not just some meek Jewish man walking around with this funny European peace sign on his hand, like some of your Bibles show a picture of. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Pharisees were angered by the people thinking for themselves. Leaders that want to control you never want you to think for yourself, especially in the church of God. That's why the Roman Catholic Church controlled the people for so long. That's why we as Christians 
We protested against the church. We're Protestants. We rebelled against the Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church says, listen, we read it for ourselves. He said, I can be saved to know that I'm saved. I don't have to come to you and put my confessions in a black box. I don't, I don't have to go and spend any time with a man. I can spend time with the Lord, my teacher. But then he tells us as a church, why do we gather like this then? Because we come together to bear one another's burdens, to encourage, to use our spiritual giftedness to help our brothers and sisters that are among us and are with us. You came today to give. You, if you came to get, you came for the wrong reason. You should have come today to this church house to give something away. He said, what can I give? I don't have anything. You have at least one spiritual gift. If it's encouraging, guess what you should do? Romans 12 says, encourage. If it's teaching, guess what you should be doing? Teach. Well, Pastor, I'm not a member. I've only been attending 17 years, but I'm not a member yet. You need to get over yourself. Join the church. We're not going to let you teach if you're not a member. Do you all know that? You're not going to commit to us. We're definitely not going to commit to you. How foolish could we possibly be? Let an outsider come in and take over, right? Because we'll get false doctrines because I don't believe, that, I don't believe in church membership. But Jesus does. You look at the Jerusalem church. You go through each church, you find out in Scripture, it says, and the church of Laodicea, right? And the church of Philippi. And the church, it starts mentioning churches. Why would it say the church? Because they were the church of that location. We're all the same church, just a different name on the sign, right? But if you're going to serve here, you're required to be a member, to join. Well, these people were very upset. The Pharisees were angered, and the people thinking for themselves, they even scorned one of their own Nicodemus. Verse 53, everyone went to their own home, to their home, except Jesus, he went to the Mount of Olives. Why did he go to the Mount of Olives? Let me tell you a little secret, by the way. Uh, when Jesus gets up to speak, at this festival, the priest would come, and this was kind of his high life time, right? He was, this was one of the good festivals. He would draw water from the well or cistern, and he would, he would basically pour it out and ask for God's blessing, because the ground, by now, the harvest is in. The ground would have been really rock hard, and he would pray for rain, and he would demonstrate, basically pour out the water, uh, and demonstrate the blessings of God. This was kind of the Thanksgiving. We've got the big feast. It's been over. As the feast is closing in, we're all celebrating that now we're waiting for the rains and we're going to have the harvest again that God will bless us. So it was just kind of a joyful time. He was the center of attention. But did you notice what Jesus does? Watch this. Go back to chapter 7 and look back at just for a moment, if you would. Chapter 7, look at verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast. Did your Bible say great day? Why would it change it? Because this is the finale. This is when all the fireworks are going off, right, if you will. This is the 4th of July for them, right, or the celebration that, hey, we're dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's provided for us. On the last day, the great day of the feast, what is the, what is the chief priest doing? He's coming out. Look at this. Look at me. He's going to draw water. Everybody's like, oh, we can't wait. The water's coming out. Everybody knows water's coming out of the well or the cistern. He gets the water, and he prays a great blessing over the people, and he pours the water, showing symbolically that God's going to bring the rains, the refreshment. And everybody, yay! Man, we love that guy. Watch what Jesus does. Right when on the great day, Jesus is going to symbolically show them a picture. On the last day, that great day, verse 37 of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, <laughs> he's playing off the water. If anyone's thirsty, there's a need inside of you, let him come to me. You think that offended the priest? Hey, showtime's over here. Don't, don't look at him. He's talking about something else. I got the water. I'm praying to God. And you got God sitting there saying, if anybody's thirsty, you got a desire inside of you. You come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow what, church? 
What's going to flow out of you if you're a Christian? Living water is going to come out of you. The thing that's in your heart is going to come out your mouth. I can walk with you for a week and tell you if you're a Christian or not. By the way that you act, the things that you say, the things that you do, you're not like the world. Yes, you will sin, but you quickly say, I am so sorry I did that. Will you, get, will you forgive me? The Bible says it will flow out of us because he's in us. That's a, just a typical lifestyle. You say, well, that's not my lifestyle. Then I would encourage you to check up and see if you belong to the faith. I don't know what's wrong with my cable here. I continue to pull it. Well, everybody went home. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Why? He again was showing prophecies. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3. Everybody go there and look at that. Look how powerful this is. And I marked mine, so I cheated. Mine's on page 1,232. You saw, I'm embarrassed. I don't know where Zechariah is. Okay, let's do it together. Everybody go to, your, go to the front of your Bible. Go to your table of contents. Come on, do it with me. That way everybody thinks, hey, I knew where it was, but pastors did that for everybody else. All right, I'm doing this for everybody else. Not you. Zechariah, chapter 14. So you got it? It's, this is part of the white pages I was telling you about in your Bible. We're going to hurry. Zechariah, chapter 14. Now, there's a lot of prophecy here. And I'm just going to hit on it. We won't have time to spend here because this, we'll do, we're gonna, hopefully we'll do prophecy in the near future, maybe in 10 years when I finish John. That's a joke. Prophecy, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3 and 4. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. This is referring to the second coming of Christ. And in that day his feet will stand on what mountain, church? The Mount of Olives. Chapter 8 says everybody, uh, chapter 7 says everybody went to their house. But where did Jesus go? To the Mount of Olives. All right, listen, that's his mountain. All right, there's a lot of things that happen on this mountain. And we'll stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east side. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. Jesus is prophesying, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to die on a cross, I'll be buried, I'll be rose again the third day. Jesus is prophesying all this time that I am the living water, come to me and you will have it coming out of you. Uh, me coming out of you, me in you, me out of you is what you're going to get. And Jesus is prophesying, listen, I'm going to, everybody went to their house. Jesus had no house, right? He went to the Mount of Olives where he's going to return. And prophetically standing there, he, everyone goes to their place. He went to his place, and he was showing that he is God, that he's coming back again. You'll see a great of the I am's in this as we continue, but I want you to notice that in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. If you take notes, Mount of Olives is mentioned also in Luke 24, 50 through 52. That's where Jesus told his disciples he led them, the Bible says, back to the Mount of Olives. And what do you do on the Mount of Olives church? Does anybody know? So Luke 24, 52, read this when you get home. 50 through 52, and Acts chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. What did he do at the Mount of Olives? He ascended before his disciples. He said, listen, I'm going away. You will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, I'm going away. And then the angels, he, he did go away, by the way. And everybody's like this. Everybody look up just for a moment. We're all doing this, and then they, they look back, and there's... Men standing in bright apparel, right? Angels. They said, why are you men gazing up into the heavens? What are you all looking at? Oh, this is our Savior. He's gone. And he said, just as he ascended, he will come again. So where does Jesus come back to, church? When he comes to touch down, if you will, where does he come to? Put it in your head, write it in your tablet. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. Aren't you excited? Some of you are. Some of you are like, hope you don't come today because I ain't sure I'm safe. I'm excited. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. 
All right, let me give you notes. Let's burn out of here. I told you this was a long one. Jesus returned to his teaching in the temple court. All the people came to him. And then all is an inclusive term that not everybody could fit into the temple court. Y'all know that, right? But that all is inferring that it's for you and for me as well. What's for us? His teachings. And as he's in the middle of teaching, he's giving revelation to the people. What did he teach the people? The answer is, we're not told. We know he's God. He's given revelation of himself. But who interrupts him? Look at chapter 8. Who interrupts him? While he's telling the things of the kingdom, here comes the Pharisees. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, chapter 8, verse 1. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple courts, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the adultery in the very act, meaning she had no clothes on when we encountered her. I'm not going to have a lot of time to get into this. You need to read this. We'll get into it a little bit next week. Where did everybody go after that day was over, the great day was over? Go back and read verse 53. Where did everybody go? To their own house. So where was this woman caught in adultery? In one of their houses. Right? Come on, follow with me. Because if they caught her in the act, that means it had to happen last night. So they set her up. One of the old boys, probably, because they were unbelievers, they didn't care. They just had this religious persona. They potentially invited her over, invited somebody else over. Because if you go back and look at the law of Moses, it says, it doesn't say, watch what it says, what, how they quote the law. Because remember, their teachings were in error. They said, verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they should might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote, What's the ground feel like, by the way? I told you the ground was what? Rock hard. He wrote on the ground with his what? Finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued to ask him, he raised himself up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Because they said, this woman's been caught. Who else should have been there with the woman? The man. Where was he? He wasn't caught because it's probably one of their boys. They set her up. They knew what kind of lifestyle she led. And they were not there brought before Jesus. They did this to condemn him. Because as soon as he condemned her, he would have to say, where's the guy? And we don't know. If she was caught in the very act, they had to catch both people. Correct? This is the beautiful thing of God. Now, just look at the finger of God. Everybody says, what, what was he writing? Some people said he was writing their names down in the dirt. He's scratching in that dirt. What's he writing? Listen, I just want you to give you these scriptures. They called him teacher, by the way. And what did they call him previously? He said he had a demon. Just previously, they called him a demon, right? Demon-possessed. Now they call him, oh, teacher. Um, we call this woman in the act of adultery. The Bible says they sat her right there in the middle to embarrass her, to bring as much shame as possible. What do we know about from John chapter 3? Jesus said, I did not come to what? Condemn her. What did I come to do? Save her that she might not sin anymore. And does he say that? Is this the MO for God? Let me give you these quick scriptures real quick. Exodus 31, 18. The finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. And guess what? Number eight was, thou shalt not what? Don't commit adultery. This is a command from God. Is Jesus God? Well, he should have condemned her. Because the law says she shouldn't do that, right? But he doesn't. He shows grace. Daniel 5, 5. Remember when the, uh, the, the handwriting on the wall, like a man's hand was written into the plaster on the wall. The finger of God. Luke eleven twenty. 20. Jesus said, do I cast out demons with the finger of God? And the answer is yes. 
And then John 8, here, 6 and 8, he talks about the finger of God. He is without sin among you. Let him throw the uh, stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground with the finger of God. Y'all, listen, he's God. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus left and was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one in which she called him. Lord, she believed on him. She received him. No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Woo! That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus loves you, church. Listen this morning. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You say, well, I'm so far deep in sin that nobody can love me. Yes, he does. You say, well, I just can't believe that. Can't help you with your unbelief, but let me give you the other notes because I know some of you want to get out of here with these notes. Watch this. The scribes and the Pharisees brought him to a woman called in adultery. They made her stand in the middle of the court. I gave you the references there. The rulers attempted to set Jesus up so they could accuse him of wrong. And Jesus offered them the opportunity to judge her with true judgment, didn't he? That's what the law says, kill her with rocks. Hey, go ahead. Those of you without stone, go ahead and throw the first, I mean, without sin, throw the first stone. And their hearts, their conscience convicted them that, hey, I'm a sinner too. I can't chunk this rock at her because I need to be the first one to get hit with it, right? They could not have righteous judgment, so they left. And finally, Jesus offered her qualified, complete forgiveness. What is qualified forgiveness? You must receive it the way he says it or you don't get it at all. Matter of fact, there's something we say around town, Craig. If you do it God's way, what's going to happen? You're going to get God's results. Some of you still like doing it your way. Well, you must work at Burger King because you like it your way, all right? Have it your way. We like it God's way here. Well, I should say we like it because it's hard sometimes to do it God's way. Somebody does evil against us, we want to mm, give it back to them, don't we? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let him do the work. I want you to know that we serve a God who loves you today. He didn't come to this earth to condemn you. But there is a day of judgment coming, right? He didn't judge that woman. He said, woman, where's your accuser? She says, nobody's accusing me. He says, neither do I accuse you. And what did they do? She received his forgiveness because she called him Lord, ruler of my life. And that's who we have to follow today is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our God and the Father, Lord, how we do today calling your name, telling you that we love you, that we thank you for your love because that's your nature. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't come to bring lightning and judgment and to convict us and kill us. Lord, you came to set us free that we might, Lord, be one with you. Thank you for your love and care for us. Thank you today that, Lord, we can be saved. No matter what the distractions may be today, no matter, Lord, what draws us away from you, Lord, we can be made whole and made pure because we receive the light of the world. We love you and thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray you would work in our hearts today that we might be the people of God that you called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.